With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is Nailing the Apex. I'm Tim Haraney. We are joined today by ESPN F1's Nate Saunders. Uh, Nate's in Qatar at the moment covering this weekend's Qatar Grand Prix. Uh, Nate, thank you very much for... uh, taking the time to do this man uh, uh it's pretty early in the morning over there yeah, yeah no mate always always a pleasure for you my friend um yeah it's it's a weird one um and i'm, I'm as you know some of these night races <clears throat> one of the quirks of them is you kind of you end up leaving at kind of un- ungodly hours i mean today we left at about midnight local time but that was because alpine put on a karting event um after the which i mean that's the most decadent sentence i've ever said but that's that's the truth that's that's how it was but it's funny because so tomorrow free practice one isn't until half four you know so qualifying i think we're we're looking at 8 p.m local time so obviously by the time that's finished it's it's obviously dark by the time we get qualifying so you end up in this bizarre situation where you end up going to bed at you know one two in the morning but you have your mornings free so you kind of have a little sleep in and you think to yourself am i should I be at the circuit already? You know, should I be doing something? Uh, but I can tell you, it's my first time in Doha. Oppressively hot. You know, it, it is. Even the drivers today were saying this is the hottest. This is, you know, this could be the, the biggest challenge physically on the calendar. Uh, if it's, I mean, it's it's not quite as hot in the evening as it was in the day driving in, but still, still super hot. So, um, so yeah, forty. Yeah, it's like forty degrees, right, Nate? That's like a hundred and four Fahrenheit. Yeah, I'm glad you did the conversion for me because I'm English. I have no idea how to how to how to, how to do Celsius to Fahrenheit. But yeah, you're right. 104 Fahrenheit sounds about right. I was told by a friend that um, I'll give her a name check. She uh, Rachel, my friend, told me uh, that Fahrenheit. The best way to look at it is percentage hot. So 104 Fahrenheit would be 104 percent hot. So and I, I agree. Today it was it felt about 150 percent hot. Um, but yeah, and um, just crazy. I mean, we yeah we um. We're not used to those temperatures, us English, uh, us European, and I mean you, you, you as well, Tim. I mean, of all people, you, definitely you definitely would know, definitely would know what you're doing in that, in that situation. So, it's a very interesting week, but um, I mean, there's worse, there's worse places to be. How did you do in the cart race? That's what I want to know. No comment. Uh, I don't. Uh, <laughs> no, I am. Um, Come on. I they were, they split into two races at the end, so we all qualified. I was in the slow, the slow poke race. I called it uh, the slower, the slower event, but I did all right. I had some nice battles with a few, a uh, few people. So it was, yeah, it was good fun. Um, and what was cool about it was <clears throat> uh, Jack Doohan took part in the other race, the faster race. And um, uh, Chris Medland, who I, you know, obviously you're, you know, you know very, very well, uh, was actually fighting him on track for a lot of the, <laughs> a lot of the events. So maybe Medlin's true calling was that he should have been a racing driver. Um, but uh, I don't tell him I said that because he will be talking yeah. about it all day tomorrow. Uh, but yeah, saw some special talent there tonight, and I think it's been overlooked. <laughs> Man, he's handy in a cart, though. Like he's actually he's won some stuff in carts. Yeah, like, he's, uh, no, he's I, I shouldn't have said stuff. anything. No, you're gonna you're gonna mention it to him after. <laughs> his head's gonna be too big. He's gonna be. He won't be able to stand up straight. His head will be so big. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so last time F1 race in Qatar, Nate was back in uh, 2021. Um, winner, obviously, at that time was Lewis Hamilton. Circuit uh, at the time, you know, may not have been that suitable for an F1 car. So. I remember there was uh, a lot of tire failures because of, 
I think it was the long corners also mixed in with the tarmac as well as the curbing as well being a bit too sharp. Uh, the racing wasn't the greatest, if I remember correctly, but there's been some circuit changes. I mean, the entire track uh, has been resurfaced. I mean, all the curbs, runoff areas, guardrails, fences have been replaced. The FIA says, um, quote, with all the changes, it is considered to be a new circuit. So there's also been changes in the paddock as well. I was I was looking at some of the pictures. Man, it looks like, uh, I think like Will Buxton put it, perfectly it's like a it's like a shopping mall mm-hmm. it's impressive yeah. at night that, that, that yeah I, I hadn't heard that quote but that is quite accurate um i can't i can't really compare it to what it was before because i didn't do the race in 2021 but i have been talking to other journalists um and it does seem that i mean the facility is very impressive i think of all the facilities we go to the middle eastern races really stand out you know a lot of work goes into and you you always get the impression that the races in the gulf are trying to one-up each other so now i wonder yeah. what which which race will now say we're upgrading our facilities now um but yeah they they've they've done a lot of work on it and as you say it was 2021 they came quite late for formula one uh you know that year if you remember obviously coming out of covid they were still looking mm-hmm. for slots on the calendar it was very much has always been a, a motorbike race circuit and that was very apparent, wasn't it? As you mentioned, I think it was three failures yeah. uh, on different cars in 21. Yeah. And that was kind of uh, a byproduct of the way the curbing is. Curbs for motorbike races, very, very different curbing for four-wheeled car races. So, <clears throat> yeah, the, uh, one of the question marks coming in for you know some journalists, it was a question that was, was asked by some people today, um, was kind of, you know, what's that going to be like uh, with the new, the new curbing that they've put in, you know, and the, the tarmac, uh, yeah, I'm not sure how much of an impact that's going to have, but the cur- you know, the new curbs they've put in, drivers are never really happy with curbs. And this is one of those circuits where, sadly, the the main issue is because of the nature of it. You know, it's built in the middle of the desert. Track limits is going to be a, bu- a buzzword all week. You know, the, it's not like Singapore where the track limit is the wall. It's the track limit is a huge long runoff area. And that's the case pretty much all over the place. So, you know, the curbs are there, but, you know, drivers hate them and they'd just rather put a wall there and it will be, you know, you, we, we kind of get to this cycle of a story, don't we, when it's like this? Yeah, I think like Yuki Sonoda also mentioned something about the curbs still being a little bit rough. I think he said they were like floor destroyers or something That's like right. that. That's yeah, right. Yeah, it was a good quote. Phrasing, good but. quote. He, he, he joked that um, out, like all the teams are going to need a lot of floors, you know, this way, but, you know, most yeah. of them really have two at this point. So, um, but again, you know, with a sprint race weekend, that is quite an interesting part of it. You know, if you obviously these weekends more than more than anything, a kind of risk reward is about balancing that. Yeah. Thing together so with that added uh element to it uh, you know if, if you mess up early especially if you mess up on qualifying on friday you've got another qualifying session the sprint and the race where potentially you know you've jeopardized the setup of the car so it does add a little bit of jeopardy into jeopardy and fun into things yeah listen to some of the drivers i mean today during the, the the media day i mean some of them were just saying just you know big commitment corners there at that track as well it's fast it's free-flowing uh it's a driver's track at the end of the day kind of by the sounds of it but it also seems like it'll be a little bit more difficult to to pull off a pass there's only one drs activation area and it's not the longest either right And there's not a lot yeah. of heavy braking areas either so yeah it's, it, it, it'll, I, I think it'll be i don't know nate it may, maybe a tough race to watch i don't know i think you're right mate and um i mean maybe the sprint race will be better but not yeah. one not one that I think will be exciting. 21 wasn't great. And you're right. <clears throat> it's a lot of medium and high speed corners, you know, and obviously the way tracks usually flow, you need some, you know, you need some heavy braking stuff, some slow speed corners in there to, to kind of mix things up a bit. So hope I'm wrong, but I think, yeah, uh, <laughs> I think it's a safer bet to say the race won't be great, but um, 
Hopefully, I mean, but, you know, we've had a good run recently, so maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Max Verstappen though can become three-time F1 drivers champion this weekend, and he he needs just three points on Sergio Perez. He can do it on a Saturday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so cool, cool little, Dude. cool little tidbit here, which I, I looked at today by mistake, is that there's the last driver to win an F1 championship on a Saturday was the father of Max's girlfriend Kelly Piquet. Nelson Piquet did it in 1983 because the South African Grand Prix that year was held on a Saturday. So wow. very, very small and irrelevant piece of, of F1 wow. trivia for you there. But, you know, nice little link to, you know, to like, who I assume will be his father-in-law at some point. So would this mean that he would be, I guess, like the second driver ever to win a championship on a Saturday? I'm not sure about ever. Is that correct? I'm not sure about ever. Okay. Before, um, I'd have to look into that, but, um, but definitely 40 years. Because obviously, and this wow. is why, you know, if, if we really kind of pull at the thread, the you know, the sprint race was kind of, I, I guess controversial is the right word, you know, why people hated it so much, because it does completely change the fabric of an F1 weekend when you have it. Not massively, because you're only talking about eight points, but when you get to a consequential part of the season, suddenly eight points, you know, it can it can dictate a championship. And people forget that in 2021, those sprint races, I mean, I know that all those sprint races, it just so happened that in the race themselves, Max and Lewis were colliding. There's only three points available for the top three then. So it, it felt... You know, it didn't feel as as much of an impact. I don't think it's any bigger when there's only five more points on offer. But when you get to this point, it can be. So, I think it's a bit of a shame. Personally, I don't know. I don't know what you think. If it's kind of because I feel like it's a bit underwhelming if you win it on a Saturday. Um, yeah, I totally agree with you. It just doesn't have that. Uh, there's just no build up to it, right? Like, I yeah. definitely agree with what you're saying. I I think like the, the sprint races as a whole for this season, I haven't been a huge fan of them because I don't like how it's kind of condensed itself into just like one particular day and it doesn't really have a whole lot of consequence or significance on the entire weekend where yeah. i mean if we go back to like last year and the year before it actually meant something like setting the grid and like there was actually a lot at stake in, in, in that respect and so i i actually like i i enjoyed the sprint races like last year and the year previous but this one i just this year i just haven't because it just doesn't feel like it it means enough <clears throat> Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I think it's it's actually, <clears throat> when you look at it, and you're completely right, you know, it, it was more meaningful over the course of the weekend in 21. But it shows you that sometimes tampering with the products in general is just not a good idea. And look, I, I actually really liked the fact that Formula 1 tried something different. You know, we have a lot of races, yeah. so giving it a point of difference is nice. But you always have unintended consequences. And the, the thing that's kind of fascinating to look at and funny to look at is when they changed it to start with, everyone says, you're ruining qualifying because you're taking qualifying now sets the grid for a mini race and that then sets the grid for the race. So they say, okay, we'll change it so that now qualifying is on Friday. And like you say, Saturday is now standalone for the sprint. Then we get the, the race. And then you get a lot of people saying, oh, well, and, and I agree with you actually, Tim. So this is, I'm not, I'm not taking a shot at you here, mate, but um, <laughs> you there, you, just, just for the, just for the avoidance of doubt. Cause uh, I didn't bring, want, bring it on, yeah, bring I'm it just, on. I'm just out here just taking <laughs> shots. Just absolutely. You're catching strays left, right and center. Um, but you rightly say, you know, Saturday suddenly becomes a standalone day and it's, you know, you kind of get the high of qualifying on Friday and then you get that kind of, you qualify again on Saturday morning for what's a shorter race. And usually, you know, especially a season like this, you're like, well, Max is probably going to be, out there on pole and then i don't know you see a little race and you get to sunday and it's you know and I, it's different for us at the circuit because we're kind of just there you know watching it reporting on it but i think 
I'd be fascinated to know what um, things were like for you, Tim, kind of growing up. But my experience as a fan when I was young, I wouldn't really pay attention to practice. I'd try and catch qualifying if I could, but I'd usually just tune in for the race. And I think a lot of F1 fans probably still tune in just for the race, or they'll you know put it on. If you put the race on on Sunday and they're saying Max Verstappen, the world champion, you'd say, "Hang on a sec, like I missed that yesterday. You know, I couldn't watch. I I, mm. I don't usually take time to watch F1 on Saturdays, or I can't do it Saturdays. You know, I." pencil some time in on Sunday or whatever. So it is It is a shame. And I, I'll be really fascinated to see if he does win Saturday. I mean, I say if. I mean, it's very likely he'll win. Um, just what the reaction is to that. You know, how much pickup it gets. It'll always get pickup because it's a guy winning a championship, but it will just be, it'll be weird. And um, I think, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting kind of, I guess, footnote for what's been a fairly controversial rule change. Um, yeah. And... Yeah, I I wonder what the backlash will be because, yeah, it would just be weird, and I I think it might it might strengthen the argument they need to look at it again. Problem is, again, if you just keep changing something, you kind of end up it just it's like what are you doing here, you know? So I don't know what the right answer is really. Not unless you go back to like you revert back to what you were doing back in twenty twenty two twenty twenty one. Not unless you do something like that, and then maybe and then maybe not have as many sprint races as well. I mean, I think. What do we have? Six this year. Six this year, and obviously it was three in twenty one and twenty two. I've got to say, actually, I'll, I like that. I'll plug. Um, you know, I like three. I'll plug something that Carlos Sainz said on. Uh, I forget. The, I think it was the P one podcast he was recently on, mm. and he said, um, "They asked him what would you do about the sprint." And I really liked his idea. He said, "Qualify Friday, love it." He said, "Then Saturday you have a sprint race that's reverse grid, so you give points out." It's reverse grid. You increase the points that are on offer, so the smaller teams fight. The bigger teams are like, well, there's points here if we if we nail things. You haven't you haven't diluted qualifying by having it a second time on the Saturday. You haven't you know the the Saturday suddenly becomes much watch must watch TV because you're like, wow, like Max is last, but mm-hmm. you know he's got to get past. You know the Ferraris look fairly quick here. He might not be able to get past them. Like, what will traffic be like? You know. I, I would personally love that. You know, I think the faster cars being behind always makes for great racing, and it would be chaos, wouldn't it? Because you'd have, oh, yeah. you'd uh, you know, you'd have like Logan Sargent out in front, and that you know, like, how does he manage that situation? Is he in his head like, I've just got to get a point here. Let's let's fight tooth and nail for for eighth or whatever. So I really like that idea, and um, I think if if I was to kind of if I had a say in the Formula One rules, which sadly is something that I don't think is ever going to happen um, as much as I'd love it to, um, that would be something I'd, I'd look at. Cause I think that that might be kind of, I'm not sure there's a perfect solution to all of this, but that, that might be the closest you get to kind of ticking every box that you're looking for, you know, yeah. entertaining yeah, de- something different de- definitely, and doesn't yeah, ruin, right. the, ruin de- the overall product. Yeah, dude, you're you're right on that for sure. I, I like that idea. I mean, I remember back in like when we were racing carts and stuff like that. Like we would have these heat races that set the grid for the next day, but the heat races would sometimes be championship order like reversed. Yeah, and I thought that was you know when when we were younger doing that, trying to come through the field from the back, it was exciting for you as a driver as well because it's like. You're kind of on the edge of your seat here. You know, you can't yeah. get taken out, but you know, also know you have to be aggressive because you need to collect more points because you're trying to win the karting championship, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I think like something like that does make total sense. So. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to, to cut over you yeah. there, but I think I think you're absolutely right. And, and I guess from your point of view as well, those races, 
there's a whole different way to approach them, you know, a reverse grid race. And I think as well, if you look at a season like Max has had, you always get the same kind of controversy. The more a guy wins, the more the argument is, it's just the car. He's only winning because he's got the best car. I want to see Max Verstappen overtake people. I want to see him fighting to win. I want to see him and Lewis go wheel to wheel again. You're not going to get that in many Sunday races. If you put a reverse grid race out there, you suddenly put him in a situation where he's got to pass these people and get past them. So, yeah, mm-hmm. from a product point of view, I think it would be great. And, and yeah, you're absolutely right. Like it, it, it kind of flips the whole weekend on its head a bit. And I think like for the average for the average fan, they may not understand, I think, just how difficult – uh, these types of race weekends are just for the teams themselves. Like there's a lot that I think for the teams that they actually have to do to make sure that they're on the ball. Like they're only like on Friday, they're only going to get 60 minutes of practice. And then essentially yeah. you're entering park for May conditions and you're kind of stuck there for the rest of the weekend. So you can't really do too much yeah. with the car, but people don't really know that because it's not really well flushed out sometimes throughout the broadcast, not to say anything, bad about the broadcasting but just the fact that there is so much that goes into f1 and there are so many storylines but that one in particular for me stands out the most because of how challenging that aspect is because the driver may not be happy with the setup but they got to deal with it for the rest of the weekend and then people yeah. are wondering why all oh, this guy sucks yeah yeah and it's like well it's like he doesn't suck it's just like they couldn't they, they only had 60 minutes to get the car into a place and then the track is going to have evolution mm. and then you know practice on Friday is going to be different from qualifying on Friday night because the track is going to have evolved. It's going to cool down as well. So I just think there's a lot going on there that doesn't really get referred back to the viewer because there's so much going on. And so that's why I mean, you just dumb the, the sprint weekends down a bit more. And I think you could probably educate the fan base a little bit more, but right now I just feel like it's the fan base would be drinking through a fire hose because there's so much information that they have to take in. Yeah. Um, where would you put this season by Max Verstappen when you look at what we've seen, you know, from, from other championship winning drivers and, and like, you know, if I think of a season in particular, I mean, Schumacher in 2002, that was a pretty dominant season from him. And when I look at what Max has done this season, I kind of think about that. I also, I guess also Lewis as well in 2020, he was incredible. Yeah. That car was incredible. But like when you look at what Max has done this season, like, you know, what have you seen that compares him to other champions? Like how big is this for him? It's hard to quantify. Uh, I think, I mean, this is far and away the most dominant season we've seen for, a long, long time. I mean, I, I started covering Formula One in 2014. So if I look at the years I've been covering it as a journalist, it's got to be the most impressive. Just, you know, pound for pound, beginning to end. I mean, we haven't got to the end yet, but you assume he's going to win at least a handful more, if not all of them yeah. from this point, yeah. just given where he is, where the car is, etc. Um, and I think, and that's not to take anything away from Lewis in those years. Lewis had some really, you, you're right, 2020 was really impressive. Lewis, 15, he was really good. Um yeah. But, you know, he, he – and this isn't really a detriment to Lewis, but, you know, and he caused some waves saying it. But, in you know, in those seasons, he did, especially, you know, 15, he had Rosberg there who gave a much better challenge than Perez has. 2020 was obviously that really strange year where it was COVID and we were mm-hmm. racing in – you know, we had two races at Silverstone. There was two races in Austria. There was, you know, everything was cr- crammed together. So, I don't know. It, that one – it not had an asterisk next to it. So that's the wrong – way to say it but it, it had a lot of factors in it that probably 
you know, it, it it just made it a little bit different. You know, there was all those different winners that year. Uh, well, actually, I say all those different winners. Gasly won that year, and then there was two different winners mm-hmm. in twenty one. But you were in an era where there was, you know, there was a bit more kind of um, a bit more of a random element to some races. Um, yeah, the only thing I can think of is really Schumacher. You know, I grew up as a Schumacher fan, and this level of invincibility in Max, it feels like what we had with Schumacher. There was a spell when we had it with Vettel. Yeah. And Vettel obviously had 2013, but I feel like with that, and this isn't to take credit away from him, but it, it's just it's just true. You know, in 13, it was right on the eve of t- the big rule change in 14. I think mm-hmm. that Mercedes very clearly started tapering down. There was all this stuff with the Pirelli tires that year when the rules changed. It took it close to Pirelli. Uh, sorry, uh, it moved the advantage close to Red Bull that year. You know, Red Bull, yeah. you know, again, Vettel won the races. He did the job, but there were factors there that you can kind of look at and say, well, this probably helped him and this. Verstappen's not had that. Yeah, he's in the best car, but he's just been so good, and we haven't seen mistakes from him. He just seems to get better as well. I mean, I don't know about you, but Japan is actually one of the most impressive races I've seen of Max. You know, he, you know, the unbeaten run comes to an end for Red Bull. The streak comes to an end in Singapore uh, for Verstappen. They're kind of a bit on the ropes a little bit, if you can be on the ropes, having won <laughs> 14 races in a row. Um, and then, yeah, he just comes out and boom, you know, he's... He just he runs away with it, you know. He holds off the two McLarens at the start and disappears. And that race, if you wanted to put Verstappen's season in a nutshell, you watch that race back. You wouldn't see much of him. <laughs> he wasn't on the broadcast much. Yeah. But like it. So I think what I'm I think what I'm kind of hitting at is it's it's been it's been unbelievable. And there's so many race weekends where by Saturday you're like, well, Max is going to win this race by very very comfortable distance and maybe it's recency bias maybe i don't remember the hamilton era that well but it always felt like lewis was the favorite coming into a weekend but i think there was always enough jeopardy around mercedes and you know you had ferrari in the mix a lot of the time uh, i'm sure there were times when lewis was was you know in a really good place but he never dominated like this so we're, we're, we're witnessing something really special and um as, as as tedious as it might be sometimes you've just sometimes got to sit back and say this is this is remarkable we might never see this happen again we don't know yeah we may never see a, a race car like this ever again either i mean this yeah. is as well i mean probably one of the greatest race cars we've ever seen we've ever seen built being yeah. driven by an incredible athlete like it's almost a, unfair yeah, it's, <laughs> like you know the, yeah, com- the combo yeah. you know i sometimes think to myself it's it's funny you know and it was same with mercedes and you know uh, vettel at red bull and schumacher with ferrari it's like man it's pretty unlucky when the best driver in the grid ends up yeah. with the best car you know it's best like car, oh man yeah. that's that sucks for everyone else but it shows you why those guys it shows you just as a quick aside one of the things that frustrates the hell out of me is when people say it's just the car because if it was just the car red bull would turn around and say max we don't need to pay you all this money because it's just about the car we'll go we'll yeah. go give you know some random 22 year old 20 pounds a year 20 dollars a year to race the car but you need the final product. You need the you need the human in the car, and the human needs to be exceptional. And Max yeah, Verstappen and is the, exceptional. You also, yeah, you also need that human to be peaking too, right? Yeah. Like the, both of those two things, they just really need to come together at the exact moment for you to get like domination like this. And it, it is what we're seeing. I mean, Lewis Hamilton even feels like Max has done an excellent, exceptional job, is what he had said today. And I mean, when when Lewis Hamilton is saying something like that, I mean, that's you yeah. know, you're on you're onto something good, right? So yeah, I think it. I think at the end of the day, like we're going to look back on this, and like for some fans who are maybe bored by it, or some fans who you know don't like it, they 
in 20 years from now, we're going to look back and be like, wow, remember how incredible that was? Like, woo. And I've got to say as well, from Verstappen's point of view, I'm pleased he's had this year to dominate in this way, actually, because 2021, as amazing as that season was, no one's ever going to talk about him winning that championship without talking about Michael Massey and Abu Dhabi. And fairly so, because a mistake mm-hmm. was made at the end. That race shouldn't have ended the way it did. Lewis on that day should have won the race, should have won the championship. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying Max didn't deserve to. That was fact. 2022, there was all the talk about the budget cap, a lot of talk, even though it wasn't a huge overspend in the grand, you know, in the in the grand scheme of things. Still an overspend, you know, they still overspent. So you could still point at Max and say, is that title legitimate? Again, I'm not saying it wasn't, but you know, critics could say that. This year, there's nothing. You know, there's nothing where you can point and say he doesn't deserve it or it's not a fair title or put an asterisk next to it or whatever it is people want to say. He's come out and he's won it in the most dominant fashion we've seen for years and no one can stop him. And, you know, he deserves that. He deserved to have that moment to show everyone this is how damn good I am, you know, and you'll just have to watch me win for as long as I win. Um, and that could be for a few more years. Who knows? Um, but, yeah, you're right. It, it, it's just about enjoying it. Verstappen was uh, speaking with F1 earlier on Thursday, and he did confirm that uh, he will someday compete in the 24 Hours of Le Mans, but it would have to be in a car that has a chance of winning uh, the whole thing. Like it, he's it, just the way he even he, he even talks a, a Nate. Like he, he always gives it to you. He always, I you know, I've had a couple interviews with him this year. He always gives it to you straight. Yeah, you know, he never really BSs you and. He pretty much just said, look, I'll do it, but I got to be in a car that's going to be capable of, of doing it. He's like, I'm not doing it if I'm just going to rock up to the track and jump into you know someone's race car and it not being very competitive. But um, yeah, like I was just like, he just talks to you sometimes. So it's a interesting guy for sure. Um, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think that's really refreshing about Max is he's just, he just says, says how it is. You don't ever feel like yeah. he's been coached. You don't feel like he's rehearsed the line in the mirror, you know, the day before sitting there going, yeah. say this, say this, say this. He just, yeah. he just says it, you know, and he's like, yep, yeah, that's what I think. And very refreshing in this day and age because, you know, you've, I mean, a unit of experience is way more than me, you know, talking to people in the, in the TV pen. And, you know, I know, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of younger drivers as they come through, some of these guys get really protected by, you know, PR teams. And I understand the reasons why, but Max, yeah, yeah he just kind of, Max lives in the world of Max. And, you know, if you don't like it, yeah, he's just like, like he said, like he said in Japan, what was it? He said, suck on an egg. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, what a, what a, what a, a mantra to live by, suck on an egg if you don't like me. But um, yeah, I think, I think that's pretty much the Verstappen <laughs> credos, isn't it? Just, yeah. Um, if you don't like it, that's what you got to do. <laughs> uh, the battle for second in the uh, constructor standings, uh, Mercedes, Ferrari, Aston Martin, McLaren, McLaren, Nate, really the second fastest team on the grid at the moment. Mercedes really is kind of just appears they've turned off the development of this car for the rest of the season. But I mean, Hamilton going for that second in the driver's standings as well. I mean, what what do you make of Lewis's comments after the Japanese Grand Prix where he, he said, you know, the team needs to have, I'm paraphrasing, the best six months of, of development that they've ever had what do you think about what does that say to you we've just i've discussed it a lot on the pod before but i want to get your uh, take on it it was quite a challenge wasn't it to his team yeah it's 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 a guy Big who's I, and i don't think it came from a, a a negative place i don't think it came from a place of oh you know i'm you know you've got to do this for me i think mm-hmm. 
one of the things that you know we, we were just talking about Verstappen and what it takes to win. Another part of winning is having that mindset of of mm-hmm. you know of, of being the best and constantly striving for perfection. And Hamilton, you know, you can talk about all kinds of things about why Hamilton won the championships he did. But one thing, and you'll have seen it, you know, I've seen it countless times when you speak to him or when you talk to engineers that have worked with him. He is cons- he's constantly looking for improvements. You know, even when they're the fastest car, whether they're second fastest, third fastest, he's he does more work behind the scenes than I think people realize. And man, it, I remember he I, I remember he's staying late at night some nights where like this was even back in the in the time of like the Vettel Hamilton time, like 2017, 2018. And if he was off just a few tents, like he would stay on Friday nights, he would be sometimes at the track man until yeah. like ten or eleven o'clock at night. And most of us were already like gone home. Like yeah, yeah, and it, it, it you know it is an unwritten, uh, an unsung part of not just Lewis. I think a lot of the you know a lot of the greats do that. You know, Schumacher kind of made that a thing, didn't he, in the modern era? Um, yeah, that's true. But um, but yeah, I mean, a huge challenge from him, and I think as well, it's it's kind of Lewis kind of daring Mercedes. Like let's let's do it. Like let's go back to the glory days and let's outdevelop Red Bull. Red Bull have Red Bull have beaten everyone. You know, they've stolen a march on everyone. Let's go and. And, and I think as well, they've seen what McLaren have done, especially, you know, McLaren have really made that step forward from a really low point start of the season. And now, like you said, you know, a, 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 you know, right up there, second fastest team look to be quite comfortable. I think, you know, on the basis of the end of the season, I, I'd be surprised if they didn't kind of stay in that kind of position relative to the rest um, all year. So if you see that, you're like, well, hang on, we can do that. Like we dominated, we, you know, McLaren hasn't won a championship since since Lewis was there. Um, yeah. So he'll be like, why can't we do it? Um, and he's absolutely right. You know, the, the, the target of Red Bull isn't staying still. That's always going to be moving. Um, and it probably does explain why Mercedes, you know, they're not happy with their car still, but I think the reason they've dropped off a bit recently is because their focus is now the next six months rather than the next six races. It's like, let's make sure when we get to Bahrain next year, we're, you know, maybe we're not in the fight, but we feel like we're close and they haven't felt close all year. The, uh, it, do, do, I, I mean, if we go all the way back to, I want to say February, I guess like when McLaren did their car unveil, you know, we're on this Zoom call with, with Zach and uh, Andrea, and, you know, they're they're telling us like, hey, it's going to be a rough, uh, mm. it's going to be a rough couple months, right? Like the start of the season isn't going to be very good. Did I, I honestly, when I was sitting there, man, and, and they were saying that, I, I was like, yeah, this is going to be a bad season for them. And then by the time I got to the, we got the British Grand Prix. Uh, I think I, I remember looking at you being like, I mean, I, I've never seen a team make that big of a turnaround within a season, like ever. Yeah, it's it's difficult to think of one. And and you're right. I mean, I remember sitting in that press conference. I remember going to the MTC, um, and you know, fair play actually to Zach Brown and to Andrea Stella. They fronted up and they said, yeah, things are going to be rough. And in in Formula One, that's you don't get that all the time. You know, you get a lot of bravado, a lot of excuses, a lot of, you know, this and that. I think McLaren knew they had nowhere to hide. They, it was going to be grim and it was grim at the start of the season. But what they had in the behind the scenes was they knew that the upgrade they were working on, the one that we saw in Austria, and like you say, they had on both cars at Silverstone, should have had both cars on the podium. They only had Lando there, mm-hmm. but um, they knew they had something special there, I think. And it shows you, you know, sometimes in a team, you just got to, uh, you you got to back yourself. I had a, there was a great quote I spoke to Zach Brown over the summer break, and he said, um, he said last year things felt bad at McLaren before they looked really bad. 
but he said when they came to the summer break, when sorry, when they came to not the summer break, the, the the preseason, when they came to unveiling the car and and having the press conference that you referred to, he said things were looking bad, but they were starting to feel good. You know, we we felt mm. good about the you know James Key had left and Stella was you know reorging the team in the way he wanted it to be. They had some good you know early numbers from the upgrade they were bringing, and I think at that point Brown and Stella said, "Let's trust the process. Let's trust ourselves and back that this is going to be." This is going to be the step we think it's going to be. So full credit to them, hats off to them. And I think they have set a bit of a blueprint for especially Mercedes and Ferrari, maybe less so Aston, because even though Aston's dropped off fourth place, start of the year, you'd have, you know, you'd have taken that if you're Aston. Um, but for them, you know, to a lesser degree, shows you what you can do over, over such a short period of time in this cost cap era. And more than anything else, that should give... Mercedes hope, should give Ferrari hope, it should give fans hope that it is doable to make a big jump. Um, but you're right, I, 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 there might be a big jump, but usually what you see, isn't it, is you see a team, a bit like Aston Martin, start very well, pump a lot into the car early on and drop yeah. off. You very rarely drop see off. a massive gain like that, and um, especially in the modern era. Um, yeah. I'm sure there's one obvious one we're forgetting, always the way. Like I'll I'll log off this call and be like, damn the yeah the, the, this car in '98. But but you're right, it's it's very difficult to just recall one out of hand. It's interesting, like hearing from like Lando Norris. I mean, obviously at the end of the Japanese Grand Prix when he's saying like, hey, we're you know we're gonna we're coming for you, Red Bull type deal. And, yeah, I love that. Like, I love listen, that. Yeah, yeah, I liked it too. But like, listening to him today, I mean, it just it just it sounds like he's got this underlying confidence that you know this team could possibly you know, maybe even catch them next season, like catch Red Bull next season. Like, do you, what, what do you think? Do you think it's possible? Like, I, I think, I think it would, I think we would see for next season, like Red Bull's obviously going to have an advantage coming out of the gate. But I think that like, as we get a little deeper into it, I feel that there's going to be a few teams that are going to be able to make those even bigger gains to claw them back a bit more. What do you think about all that? Do you think it's just going to be, status quo same as this season next year for red bull or do you see some teams starting to take it to him my head and my heart disagree on this issue <laughs> um you know in my heart says i'd love that to be the case um mm -hmm. you know and look mclaren have been like you said like we both said very very impressive but we're still two years out from a major rule change and these cars are still pretty young i think red bull is still learning a lot about their concept um and we saw with Mercedes when they were dominating, we always heard, oh, the law of diminishing returns means at some point they'll catch them. But that diminishing returns, it, it wasn't immediate. It took a long, long time to happen. So I don't know, I think, and also putting Max in the car is, is a huge thing. You know, if, if you had two Perez's in there who weren't very confident and were making mistakes, maybe you'd say mm -hmm. they could open the door a little bit for a, a challenge. But um, certainly in terms of the drivers, I can't see it. Maybe if Perez isn't in, isn't performing, maybe if a team like McLaren can get close and finish second, third every week and maybe snatch the old win, suddenly you're looking at a very interesting situation with the Constructors' Championship. But I just, 24, early on, I can't see it. Um, but again, that's my head talking. Uh, and I like to sometimes just trust what the, you know, <laughs> what the heart wants. <laughs> and seeing anyone fight for the championship is what we want in Formula 1. Um, and yeah, you know, if, if you're McLaren right now, I think you've, I did a boxing match when I was 25. It was like a charity boxing match. When you when you first get hit in the mouth, you taste you know you taste some blood, and you're like, the fight's on. You know this is this is coming. And I think McLaren have got that 
right now you know but you know that it's not it's not they're not being the pain isn't inflict just being inflicted on them now it's we're in a fight the reason we just got pain wasn't because we made a mistake wasn't because our car's terrible it's because we're in the fight we're close to the fight with the guys out in front and that more than anything can be a motivating factor especially for a team that you know for all of their prestige and their name have won two races in what 11 years um you know so yeah i um you'd love to see it as well yeah it's about time we have mclaren back ferrari back etc it's it's been it's been too long since those two teams have both been good at the same time and um we're so close to it (laughs) so so close to it on uh so on monday i just want to move over to the andretti global stuff because i know we don't have too much time with this so on monday you know the fia approved andretti global's application uh of interest to enter a team into formula one uh and we talked about this on the podcast a few days ago so if those of you want to watch or listen you can just go back in the episode catalog but you know been on this story for for quite some time now so i've gotten to kind of see how all of it kind of has played out firsthand much like yourself you know this isn't a this isn't a done deal right like just because no the fia has granted an approval i mean andretti still needs to come to the table and negotiate commercial side of things with fom and you know formula one um some team principals have been you know strongly against having an 11th team on the grid and fear of driving down you know value of their teams but also you know diluting the the financials that the teams earn at the end of each F1 season. But, you know, a big part of that, Nate, is the $200 million anti-dilution fund that was, you know, placed in the, the 2020 Concord Agreement. You know, Zach Brown has recently said that, you know, he doesn't believe that an, an 11th team would, would drive down the value as long as the team was a legit operation and business, and that anti-dilution fee would have to probably be tri- tripled. At, at least tripled. They're yeah. talking about 700 mil type, type yeah, thing, yeah. I, I would like to see, like, I would like to see an eleventh team on the grid. Nate, you know, not sure what would you think about that first. Yeah, would love to, and um, I think, I mean, I think it's difficult to see how Formula One would be worse off for it if, if, and this is the key thing: if the team was sustainable. You know, if you're yeah. if you're letting on a team, you know, in 2010 they let three teams onto the grid. All three yeah. were bankrupt within, you know, were off, were, you know, were ceased, ceased to exist within, what, four or five years. That didn't help Formula One. That categorically didn't help Formula One. But the bar for entry now, as we've seen with this process, I mean, the FIA has taken a long time to get to this point, but it's because from what I've, you know, I had some conversations today, and it seems this is probably one of the most comprehensive uh, investigate, not investigations is the wrong word, but processes the FIA has ever been part of. Yeah. So, if you're bringing a team in that can compete, that has the money, has the resources, you know, has has uh, the talent. You know, we've seen what Andretti can do in IndyCar. You know, we know it's a, you know it's a family with racing in their blood. They want to bring General Motors and Cadillac. They're going to bring, you know, they want to bring an American driver onto the grid. They've said that. You know, Michael Andretti said that time and time again. F1's booming in America right now. You know, it's 22 cars, not 20. It's difficult to stack all those things up and see a net negative for Formula One. You know, and the net negative the teams see is ultimately the bottom line of a budget sheet. Um, so, and there's, you know, it's nuanced and there's more to it than that. But ultimately, I think where the FIA has left this is they've put Formula One on the back foot. Formula One now, I think it's a fairly, it's a pretty, it's a pretty bad PR look if you turn around now and you say no. Um, 
I'm sure they'll have their reasons. And if they do do that, I can see, you know, there's lots of, it, you know, EU, UK, US, you name it, mm. wherever you want to go, there's laws against anti-competition against, you know, quote unquote monopolies, you know, you know, you can have a monopoly, but is it, is it detrimental to another company or to the consumer that, you know, that comes into it then, you know, is, is, is it, is it, um, a group of companies operating from a position of power and stopping other people from competing in that, in that space. So all kinds of things to this, and I think it's really going to rumble on, but to simply answer your question, hundred percent think it'd be a good thing. And, um, I think, yeah, the, and your fellow countryman, Lawrence Stroll, spoke about it today, and I found his quote baffling on it. I don't know if you have it there to read or anything, but he contradicted himself because he said, we don't need a tenth, uh, an 11th team. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But then he said, oh, the sport's booming like never before. You know, there's partners coming in. There's all these opportunities, and we're huge in America. And you're like, yeah, so let, let's, let's build on it. Let's grow, like, mm -hmm. grow it. You know, and it, 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 I, I think what he thought he was saying was, we'll, we'll be fine without Andretti. But what he actually, to me, when I read it, it was like, well, no, you've basically just made the argument for them. It's like, this is the moment to let a team in, especially if the FIA has done their due diligence. They look at it and say, this team financially are solid. Their, their, their plan is right. Let's, let's not forget, there were three other teams, at least. I think it was three. Maybe there was a fourth one. Um that applied and failed. They didn't meet mm -hmm. the criteria. You know, we heard about, um, we had a legit um, team too. And like high tech, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was the, um, there was formula equal, which was the, um, uh, the team that was going to be based out of Saudi. Uh, right. you know, they wanted 50, 50 male to female, uh, workforce. They had a lot of funding behind them, but again, you know, the FIs looked at that and I haven't seen, each team's proposal, there were these huge you know, documents that were looked at. But the FIA hasn't just said, yep, yeah, you got money, you can come on in, because it's not about that. It's not about, does this team have money? It's, is this team putting forward a plan that has long-term, uh, uh, what's the word, long-term um, success or, or has a long-term uh, structure to it? They clearly feel that Andretti does. Um, and how can that be a bad thing, you know? Yeah, um, I, it's, I, it's, yeah it's funny. I, it's interesting because it kind of it kind of like a little bit sounds like obviously they want they want more money because obviously the value of the teams are much different now than what they were back in 2020. But it also kind of sounds like, you know, you have a lot of folks who who were there, who still are there back in that, you know, the Marusha and, you know, the Manor days and, you know, kind of seemed like those teams were just in it to kind of you know, get the money and then get out yeah. type deal. And yeah, that's very true. In, you know, they're only in Formula One for like a few years. And then it was kind of just like, well, wait a second, you guys just you went bankrupt, but you're, you're actually making money off of, off of this and now you're leaving. <laughs> that's what it seemed like. And so I wonder if it's, they want to make sure that whoever they're going to bring in, they're going to stick around. They're going to provide the Formula One. They're going to stick around with Formula One when times get tough, like they did during the pandemic and, you know, a lot of these teams stuck with Formula One. They provide a lot in Formula One, especially on the marketing side as well. And, you know, I want to I, I want to assume that that is the part of the case. I couldn't see any other reason why not having Andretti Autosport or sorry, Andretti Global on the grid. I, I just I just can't see it. If 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 Michael's going to bring to the table more money, if he's going to sign up for Concord agreements. He's going to stick around. Um, 
then why not? I mean, like even some of the backers that I've heard that he's got with him, like he's mm. like the Guggenheim yeah. folks, like yeah, group and, one thousand and one, like these are big time backers, like. And also, you're talking about you know the entry that Andresi would likely get if if granted would be twenty six, a year when yeah. Red Bull, are, you know, I mean Red Bull have already aligned with Ford, but you know that that's coming. You've got Honda who are coming back in a bigger way with with Aston Martin. Yeah, they're moving away from you know the the, the relationship's been diluted with Red Bull. It's going to be full again with with Aston in twenty six. You've got Audi joining in a big way with the Sauber team. So you suddenly then got well, we want Andretti and we want General Motors. We want Cadillac. I mean, you're there was a time when Formula One would have would have done anything to get some of those names Man. onto the grid. You know, you're talking about having some of the biggest names in the in the you know in the car industry. You've got some of the you know, just companies with with just so much racing history, so much automotive history, and that's you know that's what Formula One's about. You know, is it, it is about the personalities, but the personalities have to drive something. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and and um, I think as well, you're 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 spot on about the Marussia days. You know, in the Bernie era, you felt that there was a chance you could kind of chance it for a little bit. You know, yeah. to have a decent run with the team. There was also a bit more of a romance about the kind of the independent team, you know, like Eddie Jordan, you know, the Jordan team, you know, everyone loved that story. Difficult to do that now, but we now have a cost cap era. So I think that the bar now for a team to actually implode is so much lower because not because they have to spend to a cost cap, but because everyone else is restricted to a cost cap. They're not going to, they're not going to be four seconds off the pace every week. It's almost impossible for that to happen because the teams are now operating within such fine margins. Yes, Red Bull has, inf- you know, not infinitely more money, but you know, <laughs> metaphorically speaking, infinitely more money than Haas will ever have. Yeah. But in terms of an F1 car, yes, Red Bull is probably always going to be ahead of Haas. But that gap now, you know, it you can see that it's it's come down. You can see the teams are closer in terms of what they're able to do year to year, and that's only going to improve as we get further into the cost cap. Mm-hmm. So I think that actually really lends itself to new teams because you can come in now. And instead of saying, well, gee, just to keep up with Ferrari, we're going to have to spend you know, close to a billion dollars just on the car in the first year. You're still going to have to develop a car. You're still going to have to do a lot of work to get there. But the top line of what you've got to do year to year to stay relevant, to stay competitive, and to attract staff as well, you know, et cetera, et cetera, is much lower now. Um, and that's a good thing. That's a net positive for Formula One, and it should be a net positive for Andretti where they allowed in. And it's kind of like you look at you know, Liberty and how strongly they pushed for the cost cap to kind of come in to make make sure that these teams were going to be making money and not losing money, having value. And I, I guess it's kind of that American sport mindset at the same time, bringing that in and having these teams be like franchises. And now we can qualify them as franchises. Yeah, and so, definitely. you know, I understand when Zach says – Hey, they, this team that's coming in got to have strong value. They, they got to make sure they're committed, but at the same time, they've got to pay more for the anti dilution because that makes sense to me. Because it, if you apply it to, I don't know, like Total Wolf, I think applied it to the Seattle Kraken, an NHL expansion team. Mm. Um, Great name, by the way. That, Great yeah, name. that was uh, <laughs> that, that was uh, they paid their expansion fee was over like north of six hundred million dollars. And it's kind of like, okay, well, when you take a look at, you know, that sport compared to that sport compared to that sport compared to, you know, yeah, Formula One yeah. is is on the rise. And, it's booming, man. And and that's talking about a sport sense. that competes in one very specific market. It doesn't compete over the yeah. world. 
Um, yeah. And you're right. I mean, the American sport example is is well, sorry, the North American uh, yeah, example yeah, yeah. is you know is 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 perfect because the NFL do it, baseball do it. They look at it and they say, well, okay, we're making money now like we haven't been before. Let's look at new markets. Where you know in the NFL it was Jacksonville and Houston. They said let's have two more teams. You know those two teams. They might not be the best teams in the history of the sport, but they've they've built good fan bases. You know they compete on a decent level. Um, and if you you know if you didn't have them, yeah, the teams would be making more money. But would the overall product have improved? You know, arguably not. So mm-hmm. I think. Um, you know, Roger Goodell was in the paddock in Canada. He was actually speaking to yeah, the team bosses uh, and to Stefano Domenicali in a big meeting there. And I do wonder if he kind of laid that out to them and said, "Look, I, you know, we've we've done this before, and you know, if you guys if you guys buy in to the sport getting bigger, you might think short term, hey, that that's going to take money out of my pocket. But long term, your wallet's getting bigger, your wallet's getting fatter, you know, and everyone wants in. And if everyone wants in, and you've been in there for you know for however many years you've been in." You're you're in a great place. So, hopefully, common sense prevails, and I think now we're luckily we're lucky that there's no timeline on this decision at the moment. You know, F1 doesn't. Ha- if they had to make a decision at the end of this week, I'd be like Andretti's never getting in because they're not going to bring people around. But I right. think if minds start to change, if people start to soften their view, I think we could see a situation where Andretti gets in. I'm still very skeptical. I think that it's more likely than not that Andretti don't get in because Formula One can turn around and say, and here's the other thing that people need to, sorry, I've been ranting at you, Tim. You no, just no. sat there diligently great, listening man. to me. I, I, I love it. Um, but the decision is Liberty Media's. It's not, Mercedes doesn't technically have a vote. They don't have a ballot. Where they, right. get, you know, where they cross yes or no. But right. that said, it's like they kind of have a silent vote in the fact that if they're, if one of the major shareholders of Formula One, whether it be, you know, a team, whether it be, I mean, whether it even be a venue or a major sponsor, it wouldn't be, but let's say it was one of them said, we have huge reservations about this. We don't want this to happen. Liberty media could turn around and say, look, there you go. Not all of our shareholders agree. So it's going to be difficult to get everybody on board, but we've seen it happen in Formula One before. And, um, I think now, the PR side of it's going to be interesting, but I think there is time for things to change. But we're going to have to see that happening from within. Whether it's Zach Brown, whether it's you know, whether it's somebody else who sees the benefits. Um, but yeah, that has to start happening quickly for for my view to change on whether Andretti can come in. But it'd be a real shame if we if we lost this chance because they've laid it up on a silver platter. <laughs> the FIA, they're like, yeah. here's well, Merry time. Christmas. Here's here's here's, yeah, here's, here's a great team, great name. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah. they did their due, due, due diligence by the look. Easy for you to say. It wasn't, oh, man. Say that three times fast. No, mate, hey, I mean, it's been a long day for both of us, so it's all good. <laughs> uh, no, but, like, they, you know, the FIA actually did a pretty thorough job of this. Yeah, think, massively. Especially when you when you make mention of the teams uh, that they – and the, the individuals who they turned away. Like, they – you know, you're – folks who are listening and watching us i mean the, the the names that nate speaks of like these are big time names with big time pockets mm. a lot of money and potential infrastructure as well so it wasn't it wasn't like these were just some random people who kind of came along with like yeah, yeah i'd like that formula one team it's like no no this is these are serious people so uh, you made a good point about i'll get you out of here soon roger goodell mm. it being in canada because i was thinking the exact same thing with this particular story, because I was 
I remember seeing him walk by me, and I was like, "That's right." I think we were stood together when he stood, when he walked by. Actually, thinking about it, yeah, I, we I was were, like, man. "We were like, look, man, it's good now." Yeah, I remember. Yeah, we're like that. He had like bodyguards around him and stuff. Like it was, it was wild, man. Like he was a big dude too. Yeah, um, scary dude actually. But you know, yeah, you, do, you wouldn't you wouldn't mess with you wouldn't mess with Rodrigo. I don't think. I don't think so, man. But like, it, it, you knew that that guy was there to talk to these teams about making sure they were all on the on the same page with like everything and to help grow the sport and all the things that they needed to do. And yeah, it was an interesting point you, you brought up, man, because I, I thought that was a very important uh, meeting that they all had with him. Because I mean, look at the NFL; it's freaking yeah. huge, man. You just went to the game, didn't you? You were at yeah, the- yeah. Well, and and in London, so I mean, it's you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's not a great it's not a great comparison, like for like, but. The concept of a London game didn't exist. Well, you know, it, it probably had started at the start of the you know two thousands, but that was a huge call. You know, telling telling teams in the NFL, hey, you're going to go play in London now. Uh, yeah. Huge. You know, it's going to be complicated, and it's going to it might hurt your team in terms of the jet lag and in terms of the preparation for games, which is huge for teams. You know, they, they talk about every every time a team goes over there, they're like, oh, you've got to do this, but they're saying also you're buying in to. Growing the sport in the UK, and I can tell you, the sport in the UK is is so popular. The NFL they've just done the the, the matches in Berlin now, and those 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 tickets are harder to get than I think Taylor Swift tickets are the only thing harder to get than a ticket to a game in Germany. But it shows you that you know the sport has embraced all of these new markets, and the shareholders in it have even if there are some points to be like, well, this isn't great for us, and this is a bit complicated. It's like yes, but the whole sport is getting bigger because of it. The whole ecosystem of the sport is growing and growing and growing and all that means is all your concerns you know from a business point of view you're going to be better you're going to be better off as long as you know as long as you operate sensibly as long as you you know you keep doing your due diligence on your you know your business practices etc you're going to be in a great place and i think the andretti this andretti situation i think is going to show us how much formula one has embraced this americanization that we that we always talk about and how much the old F1 is still there. It's going to be a really kind of like, are you the kind of the new and improved Formula 1 you always say you are, or are the old kind of the Bernie era kind of, you know, self-interest still there? Yep. And yep. at the moment, I would say it's the latter. Uh, it's still, you know, the leading voice. The team's still hugely influential, obviously. Um, but we'll see. Um, and yeah, it's a really hard one to call. I mean, this is this is now, I think, away from... The driving stuff. This is now the big talking point in Formula One yeah. for the foreseeable future, and yeah, yeah I think you know, all of our listeners are going to be bored of hearing it after a while. But <laughs> yeah, there's a lot riding on this, so it is. There's so much to it, and you can keep picking at the you know, the thread and you know keep going for a while uh, for for a while with it. Nate, this has been great. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, no to worries, do this. Dude. I really do. Appre- I do really do appreciate it, man. It's great that I could finally get you on. Um, yeah, this Tell has everybody. been for, for people listening. This has been Tim's been so patient with me. I've been like, "Hey, man, can't do this, can't do that." Uh, and yeah, man, I'm like I said, always more than happy to come on. Um, and I know in Austin we'll grab a beer, uh, at least one Absolutely. beer, maybe maybe two, maybe we'll stretch it's it to a bit two. More than one, yeah, 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 yeah. The, the, the beer budget might stretch to two in Austin. Who knows? Um, uh, yeah. Let everybody know where they can where they can find you on social media, and also what you're working on, and tell them where they can find your podcast as well. Sure. Yeah. So, um, my Twitter handle is at Nate Saunders F1. Um, I write on ESPN.com forward slash Formula One, one of two writers 
uh, covering Formula One. I'm on our Unlapped podcast with ESPN. I'm also on the Padhock, uh, a separate podcast with Chris Medland, who I mentioned earlier, and Lawrence Barreto from F1.com. So basically, I just do all sorts of things and just <laughs> and just force people to either listen to me or read my work. Um, but yeah, please do give me a follow or a read if uh, if so inclined. So thanks for, thanks for letting me plug all of that at the end of your show, mate. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Anytime. Really do appreciate you coming on, Nate. That's Nate Saunders for ESPN F1. I'm Tim Haraney. If you want any more Nailing the Apex, you can get it wherever you get your podcast. Please head over to Spotify. Give us a five-star rating and a follow. Same goes with Apple Podcasts as well. Uh, write a review as it helps us grow the show. You can also watch us on YouTube. And we'll talk to you all at the end of the Qatar Grand Prix.